0: Hello and welcome to Early Childhood Ireland's podcast. Our podcast features interviews and discussions on all issues relating to quality early learning and care with a range of speakers who are leaders in the areas that matter to Early Childhood Ireland members. I'm Maura Corbett and I work with Early Childhood Ireland. You're most welcome to the final episode of this series where we explored some aspects of equality, diversity and inclusion. My guest for this episode is Shirley Heaney. Shirley is the national coordinator of the LINK program, and she's a graduate of the ECCE program in Mary Immaculate College in Limerick. Shirley has worked with the LINK program since it began in 2016. During this time, she's been engaged in various roles, including content developer, tutor, and project officer. And now, as I say, she's the national coordinator. Before she joined the LINC programme, Shirley lectured in the Department of Reflective Pedagogy and Early Childhood Studies in Mary Eye. And she worked for 10 years with children with additional needs and three years with children from the Irish Traveller community and their families. And she's currently a PhD candidate with the Department of Reflective Pedagogy and Early Childhood Studies in Mary Eye. And her research is focused on the investigation of how the well-being of children with additional needs is supported in the early years. So, Shirley, very busy schedule you have going there, and uh, thanks for joining us. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation today to wrap up this series.
1: Thanks, Maura, and thank you for inviting me and to join your podcast. I'm, I'm delighted to contribute.
0: So, uh, you're very welcome. So. Uh, I'll start with what, um, you know, what what led you to be so interested in the area of anti-bias and inclusion? Now, I
1: suppose my interest in the whole area of inclusion, um, I, I suppose it's, it stems from a li- lifelong interest, really, in the whole area of, uh, of diversity and inclusion. I myself have a limb difference from birth, which has influenced my view of the importance of inclusion and the importance of building, I suppose, an inclusive society as a whole. And I really feel that um, this really needs to be supported and embraced beginning in the early years in order to have that inclusive society. So as as you mentioned there, Maura, you know, I've, you know, worked for, I suppose, almost 20 years now at this point in the area of inclusion, you know, with um, in a professional capacity with children um, and lecturing and now, I suppose, as the national coordinator
0: of um the link program. So the um you know we we've, we've had the um inclusion um charter and guidelines the diversity and equality and inclusion charter and guidelines they were initially published um a good many years ago and reviewed then and I know the link program builds very strongly on them. How important do you think that has been that that uh, government focus has been to, I suppose, kind of honing our thinking and practice in relation to inclusion and how important it is to be familiar with and you know using the the documents. I mean uh, Colette Murray said, "Just take it off the shelf and 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 use it." I'd I'd like to hear kind of what your thoughts are on uh, on the guidelines and the charter.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know the link program. You know one of the foundation, I suppose, documents and um, is the is the inclusion charter and guidelines. So the charter and guidelines, I suppose, are really key in supporting early childhood educators to consider the inclusive culture within their setting, providing environments that are respectful of diversity and inclusion. I feel is everyone's responsibility, and I think that the charter captures that and provides guidance on what. What inclusion and diversity looks like or should like, look like in practice and the ideas um, we can use, you know, the, the think abouts that are in the are in the um, charter, you know, to support reflection on our practice, both individually and as a team and to decide decide as a team what might work best for the individual set, um, setting. So I suppose there's a number of important aspects to the charter and guidelines. It's a fabulous document, it's very user friendly. Some aspects that I think are significant, I suppose, is the inclusion of that anti-bias approach and the anti-bias goals for children and for adults and the focus the Charter places on supporting children's, their identity and their sense of belonging, which strongly links with Aster, you know, that's really important. And the role that the physical environment, I suppose, has in depicting all children and the importance of that um, partnership approach with parents, which is key, which is key, is key for all children. And um, but especially children then, you know, who may have additional needs and, you know, and of course the inclusion, the inclusion policy. So like you said, you know, Colette Murray said, take it off the shelf. And, you know, absolutely, I suppose the, the charter is important as provides us with a document that supports, you know, a vision for an early learning and care um, setting. Um and the vision, you know, that, that that the that the staff in the setting um has, you know, in relation to anti-bias can can stem from this document. So if we consider, I suppose, the goals for for adults, um, one of the goals for adults is to be conscious of our own culture, attitudes, values and how they influence our practice. Okay, so this really challenges us to think about our own biases, which we all have, you know, whether they're conscious or, or unconscious. And this is so important in building, I suppose, a shared vision of the inclusive culture within the setting. Talking with your colleagues about this, you know, do we have unconscious biases and where might these stem from, you know, bringing them to the fore, thinking about them, challenging them and wondering, you know, why, why might I think or feel this way? Um, and I suppose in the podcast that you did, Maura, with um, Claire Murray, you spoke a little bit about gender, you know, and play that was. Seen to be for boys or for girls. And he spoke about the construction area being labelled in a setting as the um, the boys area. So like these kind of things are really important to be conscious of. Do we perceive certain types of play to be only for girls? And do we perceive certain types of play to be only for boys? Do we jump in very quickly if there is a child in our setting who has an additional need when they're about to zip up their coat? You know, it was We link it to, I suppose, the whole concept of John Dewey's um, concept of reflection and the importance of reflecting in action and on action. You know, always taking that time to reflect on our interactions with young children and thinking to ourselves, you know, can I do this better? Could I do this differently? And then to take the time to reflect as a team with the set with your colleagues in your setting as well. And I know this has been quite a challenge over the last two years for, for for you know the majority of settings in relation to to COVID. But I remember when I was doing my degree many, many moons ago now at this point in Mary macleod College, and one of my lecturers, Florence Anine, spoke about Maria Montessori. So this was in the first couple of weeks of of the degree, and she spoke about Maria Montessori's concept of, you know, help me to do it for myself, helping children to do things for themselves, and I suppose that's something that really resonated with me and stuck with me in my interactions when I worked with with young children. I think the key and this is key, looking at a situation and always thinking to ourselves, you know, how can I support this child to do something different? Um, How can I support this child to do this independently? What strategies can I put in place? And so on. And I suppose the importance of interacting with um, with, with your colleagues is really important here with sharing strategies and the role of the inclusion coordinator then I suppose can come in very strongly there in cascading their learning from the link program on strategies that can be implemented in the setting and other training that other staff members engage in as I
0: yeah I think that that bit it, it was one of the things that um that Maxine said you know about that nearly bringing a social aspect to the the you know the the reflections and you know she said about even that little bit of um, a challenge to change one thing and um, you know I think that's so important is that you know the more the more and Nicola referred to this as well the relationships bit so you know coming to a shared understanding of what inclusion means but you can't kind of come to a shared understanding until you've kind of looked at your own understanding and like you said your own Unconscious biases and recognizing that we all have stereotypes uh in our head, we all have biases from the way we were reared, the communities we grew up in, and uh we need to you know challenge those for ourselves, but doing it in a kind of a social um, easy way can make it easier to, to challenge um, it rather than uh, in a very challenging individual way, having that social aspect to it where people uh, aren't afraid to um, kind of open up and discuss things and, you know, discuss some of the, the challenges when you mentioned about, um, you know, children with additional needs being maybe overhelped. When I um, worked on Ashther in Action, We had a video of a little girl um, putting on her welly, a little girl who had Down syndrome putting on her welly. It came off and the educator's first instinct was to put the welly on for her. And uh, I was there, I was videoing and I was... um, kind of encouraging her to uh, leave her to do it for herself. And she was, you know, she spoke afterwards. The video, unfortunately, isn't isn't visible anymore. But, you know, she spoke afterwards about how powerful it was to see that she actually could be um, supported to do it on her own. Um, but her instinct as an educator was to help and to support. And sometimes the best way to help and support is by kind of standing back, isn't it? Absolutely and I think we want to help we want to help children we
1: want them to achieve their their own true potential all of the time Um, and there always is even for me there's there's always that little um, that little second where you go to help or you might think about helping and you have to really stop yourself and you need to think you know can the child do this activity or, or put on their wellies or zip up their coat or whatever it might be open their their lunchbox by themselves or what aspect of it can they do themselves and where does my support need to come in so you know that's why our observations and are really really important you know a child may be able to complete the first three steps of, of of an activity or or a task but they might need you to come in and help them at the end and over time they can they can Do it independently. So it's about and and I suppose that's nearly an unconscious bias, nearly, you know, but it's about stepping back and telling yourself, no, it's fine, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave them, try it themselves see how they get on and if they need my help, I'm here to support them absolutely. But let's see how they get on. And look, we all know from working with children that the absolute pride that children have and the confidence they get the first time that they up their own coat mm. or the first time they put on their own shoes or their own wellies or whatever it might be. So they're important, I suppose, um little milestones for children. And it's really important that we don't overstep or overhelp, as you said.
0: Yeah, can feel so counterintuitive as carers that you know. Yeah, we want we want to show our care by helping, but uh, in fact sometimes we can show it by kind of standing back and waiting until the child yeah. actually needs the little bit of help. Yeah, or but, stay near and just let them know that, that you're there if they need the support. Exactly. And if you need if you need me to help you, let me know. And do you want to say a little bit more about that relationship aspect to the the, the reflection? You know, you mentioned reflecting individually and then as, as a group, but, you know, how important those relationships are. And, and I mean, sometimes I suppose we can focus on, you know, the, the that, you know, kind of shared thing of where we will go next. But there's also a really important bit about recognising what we're really doing well now. We tend to go into what we need to change, but... I, do you think it's important too, to recognize the the aspects of good practice that are already there,
1: yeah, absolutely, and I would talk to students you know a lot about that the different um, student groups that i I would have been engagement over the years it's really important to really think about that so if we're thinking about the anti-bias approach and that's our topic of conversation with with our team like when when you're developing that relationship where you can talk about what biases that you you might have that needs time you know you 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 need to get you need to get the group together as regular as possible which can be quite challenging in an early, a large um, setting but it is very important to come together as as a team and I always think that you always need to start with what's what what's working well what do, have we implemented recently and how is it going as I think there can nearly be a focus at times to look at okay so there's this new document or there's this new strategy how are we going to implement it and that's brilliant but I think a team also needs to look at what they're doing well, what's working well, how the children are getting on. And, and you, you know, and that's very important. So if you bring that back, I suppose to Colette Murray's um, point about taking the inclusion charter and guidelines off the off the shelf, I suppose a way to to start that would be to have a look at the inclusion policy. You no, know, have a look at the inclusion policy that you have in your setting. When was the last time <clears throat> that it was updated? You know, inclusion is an invo- is is a continuously evolving process because, you know, children are different each year. The children in the group are different, and so on. So take the take the document, have a look at the the inclusion policy, as a team, um, and have a look. You know, does this inclusion is this inclusion policy reflective of what we're doing, what our vision for inclusion um, and diversity is in the setting, and so on. You know, and um, how thinking about has your inclusion policy been influenced by the Universal Design Guidelines for Early Learning and Care Settings? That was published only a small few years ago. Okay, they're absolutely fantastic, and um, there's great tips and ideas in this document. And I feel that the Charter and the um, Universal Design Guidelines for Early Learning and Care Settings actually complement each other quite well. It's a wonderful document as well, and a great resource. Um, with um, a self audit tool as well, that's designed to help um, early childhood educators reflect on their environment, both indoors and both outdoors. So I think the first um, step in taking the, the um, charter and guidelines off the shelf is maybe have a look at your inclusion policy, you know, um, discuss it with your team and, you know, always start with what's working well. And there is so much high quality practice happening in our sector and the efforts that have been made to communicate with parents during the pandemic and everything else. And children are spending more time outdoors. And this is impacting on the quality of, of, of the environments that children are engaging in as well. I suppose the more opportunities opportunities that team have to discuss and reflect together, the more trusting the team relationship then will become, and the more open the team members will be able to be in relation to discussing, you know, th- their view of inclusion or you know any biases that they may have.
0: Yeah, that bit of trust is so important because it's you know when there's a, a when trust is there. Uh, A comment feels much more like a a reflection um, than a criticism, and people can generally kind of maybe you know move forward in a more constructive way if they feel um, you know that it's it's part of a a trusting relationship. So um, I really like that bit that Nicola talked about the the relationships and you know that idea of starting um, starting by your uh, you know with yourself and then moving into the the group space. So, uh, Shirley, you, you've mentioned uh, at a couple of points about the, um, the anti-bias approach and uh, I know you wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, some aspects of that.
1: Yeah, I, I suppose just to focus a little bit on on the goal, the anti-bias goals for children, which I think, are really great. Um, so it's one goal for children is to support each child's identity and their sense of belonging in the setting. So I think um, for, for the setting to have that inclusive culture, that is key. OK, so children need to see themselves represented in the setting and their family members also. Children, I suppose, um, children try to understand difference by imitation and during their play and through asking questions they follow their lead from the adults then that are in their environment okay their immediate environment their 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 families and the early childhood educators that that they spend their time with during the day and if an adult is uncomfortable with difference the child will pick up on that and so That links back again to the importance of us reflecting on on any biases that we have. So the the charter um, talks about, you know, that we as adults behave, our behavior will have an impact on children and our outlooks and our attitudes will be visible to them. OK, so, you know, comments like, you know, and, and we're not going to hear these comments, you know, in, a, in an early learning care setting. But in society, you know, the wider society, you might hear comments like an adult might say to a child, don't stare or don't ask about that. You know, don't 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 comment on it. But why not? OK, and we support children's autonomy and their, in, I suppose, their their interest um, all the time. And they should be no different. I feel that when children are curious about about difference. So we need to listen to children. We need to ask their opinion. We need to provide an environment where they can and they feel comfortable, just like with with adults, you know, providing an environment where they can talk about their their possible biases. But providing an environment for children where they can ask questions, give them a voice to um, tell you their their opinions Um, things like ties books depicting different culture abilities, different languages, all of that should be visible in the early learning and care setting for the the children to engage with all of the time. So, for example, Avril Webster has a series of books, the off we go books, and they depict culture, I feel, and ability quite well. You know, having Braille books at the library, and I know that the character mentions that as well. In the last few years, we've seen a number of childhood favourites in Braille format, you know, Good Light Moon and The Very Hungry Caterpillar. And one of my my, my two year old, my daughter, who's two, one of her favourite books at the moment is the is the Braille version of That's Not My Elephant. Or there's a lovely book um, by Julia Donaldson called What the Jackdaw Saw. And Julia wrote this book with children who use sign language. And it's a lovely story that introduces a few signs and um, the sign for party, which has gone down a treat with the children that I've shared this book with over the years. So the importance, I suppose, of, you know, having an environment that depicts I suppose, difference and not just, I suppose, with, with artwork or whatever it might be in the world, in the toys that are in the environment and the books that are in the environment and so on. So I feel that is important to say.
0: Great. It's, it's lovely to hear about uh, Braille books and being that freely available, that they're not, it's not kind of as specialised anymore and that um you know, making uh, ordinary of sign language and, and so on. So that's uh, some great, great tips there. So, Shirley, to, to wrap up, I know before we started uh, chatting, you were saying about, you know, that it's a busy time with, with Link and um, you have the level six and the CPD and Maxine mentioned about the importance of the... Um, the CPD and community of practice. So, to you know, in conclusion, have you um, a little bit to say about how Link um, uh, engaging with the Link program uh, enables educators to um, engage with all the ideas that we've been talking about for the last little while?
1: Yeah, um, I suppose it was great to hear Maxine and Nicola's positive views of the LINK programme. They're great advocates of inclusion, like so many of our colleagues who work in the early learning and care um, sector. So, the whole concept of, I suppose, inclusion, anti bias, diversity, you know, it's all enshrined in the LINK programme. And the students who engage in the LINK Level 6 programme are, I suppose, um, experienced that. You know, um, individually and as 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 a group. So, in relation to the Link CPD program and that whole concept of a community of practice and so on that Maxine mentioned. So, at the moment, we have over two thousand of our graduates, two thousand inclusion um, coordinators, who have registered um, for the Link program. Uh, which is just fantastic. So one of the key things that we wanted for the CPD program was to have a space where inclusion coordinators could come together, um, where they would have a space where they can come together, meet, discuss, um, and talk about their roles. Because you know, we're very conscious that some of our some of the inclusion coordinators may work in small, remote and um, settings and things like that um, so one aspect of the link program that we felt that was very important was providing the space for incos to come together and to meet as a group so we've included a virtual meeting space on the cpd program so it's where incos can arrange a date and a time to meet um, through a discussion form that's available for them it's um, within the in the cpd program and then there's a virtual space okay so um Moodle is the learning platform that we use in Mary Mackley College and that we use for for the link program so there's a virtual meeting space it's called Big Blue Button where are where the um inclusion coordinators engaging with the CPT program they can come into that meeting space anytime that they want it's freely available to them they can just have a chat with each other, you know, um, who's available at this time or are you interested in engaging in a, in a community's practice? And they can they can set up a time and date to meet each other virtually. They can discuss topics, I suppose, that are being explored in the content of the programme or follow on a conversation that they had in one of the tutor-facilitated community of practice sessions. So we have two types of community of practice, um, I suppose, sessions for the inclusion coordinators. One is where they engage with the CPD tutor, um, Claire Butterley, and she facilitates a community of practice for inclusion coordinators who live and work in a, in a particular locality in Ireland. Um, and following that, then the Incos can continue their conversation independently by themselves in this virtual meeting space and so we have a number of of, um, the inclusion coordinators who are really embracing that and they are engaging um, in this virtual meeting space but we're very conscious that some you know some inclusion coordinators have set up their own community of practice and you know they've told us that over the last number of years Um, and some have a wider community of practice where there may be you know, and different professionals from different, um, you know, areas in the community of practice together.
0: Great. I think, uh, because I think, I think that ongoing bit is so important. It's, you know, you, you, you do a program, you finish it, um, but then there's that bit about, you know, that you need the support of peers to keep on the, keep on the road So, Shirley, thanks so much for such a reflective, thoughtful and and practical discussion. Um, Thank you very much for for joining us today. Yeah,
1: and and
0: thanks for having me, Maura. And thanks very much to you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the word and we look forward to your company next time.